Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You have to make a definite commitment in 2023 to be who you are on purpose. Hey, everybody, it is 2023, so Happy New Year to everybody. You've got Dr. Phil on Fill in the Blanks, of course. You know that because you clicked in. So Happy New Year. I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. You've got me this time because I want to talk to you about how to kick off this new year. I do this at the beginning of every year, and this is no exception. I want to talk to you a little bit about New Year's resolutions. I want to talk to you a little bit about what you might want to be thinking about at the beginning of this new year. So this podcast is all about you. It's not about me. It's not about society. It's about you, your family, and what you want to do in 2023. I'm going to start out by talking about New Year's resolutions, and I don't think they're all bad, by the way. In fact, I was reading some research recently that said people who kind of have a goal of something they want to do compared to those who actually make a commitment, make a resolution. Those that make the resolution are like 10 times more likely to achieve it than those that just kind of have the goal in their head. Now, that doesn't mean resolutions are a great way to get things done, but you're 10 times more likely to do it if you at least make a resolution to do it than just having it in your head. So resolutions, if they're done right, can be good as opposed to just having an awareness. Awareness is like nothing. You don't get anything done. I was really curious about where this whole idea of resolution started. So I was doing some research on it a couple months ago, and it actually started like 4,000 years ago. The Babylonians were the ones that started this. Now, for them, New Year's was in March, not January. They had pagan gods, and this was a time that they set up to say, okay, we're going to resolve that the New Year starts now for them in March, and they're going to pay off their debts and return anything they had borrowed from their neighbors. I don't guess they had lawnmowers back then, but they still borrowed stuff. And if they kept those resolutions, the idea was that the gods would smile on them during the year, and if they didn't pay off their debts and return things they had borrowed, then things would go badly for them. That wasn't good, so they wanted to keep those resolutions. Then, like 14 BC, Julius Caesar started playing with the calendar, and that's when the new year started to be in January, or Janus as they referred to it then. And that was a two-faced God. And the idea was the one face looked back at what had happened in the previous year, and one looked forward. They started making resolutions about how they wanted to change things from the year before. And then in like 1740, John Wesley, who was kind of the, I guess, the father of Methodism, 
started it as a sort of a spiritual thing to fight all of the traditions of just getting drunk on New Year's Eve. So that's kind of where it began then. But you'd think we've had 4,000 years to practice this, that we would be a little better at it than we are, but we're not. If you look to see how many people keep their resolutions, it varies from like 8% keep them. Some say as many as 46% keep them. But either way, it's really poor. And if you're going to make them, I want you to keep them. So I'm going to talk about how to actually set a goal and make it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. About half of the people, 41, 45%, make New Year's resolutions. The reason I said I don't really hate them, even though they don't have a great success rate, is even though this is arbitrary, I'm for any day that you sit down and take stock and say, hey, I think I want to do a better job. I think I want to be a better person, a better mother, a better father a better citizen, a better me. I think anytime you sit down and take stock and say, hey, what can I do better? That's a good thing. I think if we did it every month, I think if we did it once a week or whatever, I don't think it'd be a bad idea. But the fact that we set aside a day out of the year to do it, hell, why not? Of those that fail, it's interesting, 52% of the people predict they'll succeed and as few as 8% do succeed. I said as high as 46%, in some studies it says they succeed, but still less than half. 35% say that they don't make it because it was unrealistic. They set something up that they couldn't get there. It was just too high a goal. A third of them say they just don't track it. About a quarter of them say they just forgot. They intended to do it, they just forgot. 10% say they just set too damn many and they couldn't keep up with it. So we're going to keep you from making all of those mistakes. Have you made a New Year's resolution? Let me ask you that. Think about it right now. Have you made a New Year's resolution and what was it? The 10 most common, you could probably make the list out. People want to eat healthy, get more organized, learn a new skill or a hobby, live life to the fullest. They want to save more and spend less. They want to quit smoking. They want to spend more time with friends and family. I'm not saying these are bad. I'm just saying what they are. They want to travel more. They want to improve their job performance. They want to exercise more, live more healthy. And here's the problem with those, if there is a problem with them. It's kind of hard 
to measure some of these things. You want to eat more healthy. I mean, something like saving more and spending less is actually measurable. You could actually measure that. But if you're going to set a goal, you want it to be measurable, right? But before we get into setting what your actual goals are, let me talk to you here. And I don't want you to tune out because you think, oh, we're just talking about New Year's resolutions. I don't care about that. I can watch Dr. Phil this afternoon, so I'm just going to tune out of this one and and listen to music while I'm walking. No, no, no. Hang with me here, because I'm going to talk to you about something that I really want you to listen to, because this is for you. This is for you. I want to talk to you first about setting yourself up for success in 2023 before you do anything else. And I'm going to tell you a couple of things that can change your life this year. There's not anybody today you can listen to that's going to give you facts that I'm going to give you right now that can have a bigger impact on your life. Now, I know that sounds egotistical for me to say. It's not that I've invented this stuff. I just collected the information to give it to you so you can make some differences. And the biggest mistake in life is you think you have time and you don't. Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once it's lost, you can't get it back. Time is a really unique commodity. Think about it. You can't get it back. You can't own it, but you can spend it. And it's the one thing you can't create more of. You can make more money. You can gather more stuff. There's that old saying, you know, the one with the most toys at the end wins. Now, you can't have more time. So I want to talk to you about your time. You may think you have time, but you don't. You don't have time to fix your relationships. You don't have time to bond with your children. You don't have time to do the things that you think you're going to get around to. You don't have time. So I want to talk to you about how to maximize the time that you have. And to do that, I've got to get you to be as efficient as you can possibly be. If this is the one time a year that we take stock, that we step back and say, am I making the most out of my life? Then let's use this time. This is no dress rehearsal. You don't get a do-over. This is it. This is 2023. You don't get 2023A, 2023B, 2023C. This is it. You're going to have this one time, this one year, and you are the only you that will ever exist. You may share the name Anita, Connie, Betty, Bob with somebody else, but you are the only you that will ever exist. There will never be another you in the history of the world. It is you, and this is the only time you're ever going to be here. So are you making the most of it? And I'm going to bet you the answer is no. The answer is no, you are not making the most of it. And I want to change that for you starting right now. I want to change it for you right now. And I'm going to give you a couple of things that make a huge difference. And here's the first one. When you have a positive attitude, when you have a really optimistic approach to things, research tells us you are 30% smarter. Think about what I just said. When you have a positive attitude, when you're leaning forward, you got a smile on your face, you're optimistic, you are 30% smarter than when you don't. 
however smart you are, however much brain power you've got to solve problems, to get tasks done, to figure stuff out, if you are optimistic, if you wake up in the morning and say, I am not going to go through this life kicking and screaming, I'm not going to go through hanging my head. I'm going to go through optimistic. If you're listening to me right now, I want you to sit up straight. I want you to stand up straight. I want you to put your shoulders back and lift your head up. Take a really deep breath. Look around. Find something pretty. Find something that's pleasant to look at. Have a positive attitude right now. Think of something positive. Think of something you're proud of. Think of something you're happy about. Have a positive attitude. Just even right now, that's what I'm saying. Sit up straight. Stand up straight. Put your shoulders back. Just even posture can make you more optimistic. We go through life too much slumped over, hanging our head down, you know, rubbing our face. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Holy shit, what a crummy day. Look, you got to be positive. Think of what your blessings are. Everybody whines and complains about things that aren't going right. What about the things that are? We look back at 2022 and we think about, oh, my God, things aren't affordable and We've got all this divisiveness in the country. We've got all this stuff going on. That's true. That's true. There are things wrong. No question about it. But we live in the greatest country in the world. Do we have problems? Yes, we do. Of course we do. I'm not Pollyannish about it, but I love this country. I love America. I love it enough that I can admit its flaws, faults, and fallacies and still be optimistic. You need to be optimistic about your life. And listen, if I can be optimistic with all the people and problems that I see every day, you know who I deal with. You know the problems people bring to me. Every letter is, oh, Dr. Phil, you're our last hope. We're desperate. You're our last stop on the subway. It's like, oh, my God, why didn't you write me first? And some of them did. They had trouble getting through. I get it. But if you're optimistic, if you have a positive attitude, you're 31%. Smarter. That's the actual statistic, but think about it. You're 30% smarter. Think of the tasks that you've struggled with, the problems you've tried to solve, the kid issues tried to deal with. If you were really optimistic about it and you were almost a third smarter, how much more would you have brought to the table? Now, let me add something else to that. I'll give you another big number. Research tells us this is empirical research. Fact check me on this, by the way. You got a Google there. You got a machine in front of you. Fact check me on this stuff. The American Psychological Association and many others have done studies. If you stop multitasking, your efficiency goes up at least 40%. 40%. Think about that. What if during the last year, with all the things that you've had to do, what if you could have gotten 40% more done in the last year? Your performance at work could have increased 40%. Everything you tried to do, even during the holiday season, could have gone up 40%. If your productivity in life could have gone up 40%, and then your positive attitude added 30% intellectual power on top of that. You've become a dynamo. Think about that. If your efficiency went up at least 40% and your cognitive power went up 30%, all of a sudden you've become a dynamo. 
And think of the edge that gives you. Not everybody in America is listening to me right now, but you are. You are. So cognitive ability goes up 30%. Efficiency goes up 40%. Now, all of a sudden, people are looking at you thinking, what in the world happened to them? They're on fire. Now, I'm not even talking to you about the goals you set yet, the resolutions you set. I'm just trying to get you programmed to light it up. Think about that. Now, you're going to say, oh, wait, wait a minute. Multitasking is a skill. There are maybe one, one and a half percent of people in America that can effectively multitask. Well, let's make an agreement. Let's assume that ain't you. Okay, let's assume you ain't that one, one and a half percent. Let's assume you're not one of those people that can multitask effectively. And you may think you are. And employers are so foolish. I look at some of these postings on job sites, and it says, are you good at this? Are you good at that? Are you a good multitasker? They're actually asking that like it's a positive. They want you to be able to juggle 10 balls at one time. They're shooting themselves in the foot. They bring you in and try to get you to do three or four jobs thinking that they're going to knock it out of the park. They got one person doing four jobs. No, they don't. They got one person fumbling because they're trying to do three or four jobs. Let me tell you why that is, by the way. I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of details. My friend Sanjay Gupta, who's the medical expert for CNN, describes it pretty well. He says, you've got certain parts of your brain that deal with certain tasks. And whenever you switch from one task to another task, your brain has to disengage from the elements it's using to perform those tasks, switch over to the other parts of the brain that are engaged with a new task, and it has to adapt and engage And that takes several minutes to do. And then when it finally gets up to speed, and so you start using that part of your brain and those parts of the brain that are engaged with maybe a numerical task versus a physical task, and it gets up to speed, it takes maybe five minutes to get to peak efficiency there. Now they come and say, well, here's the third thing you need to do. So about the time you're getting up to speed there, you pull off of that. And now you're answering an email over here, which is a, maybe it's an HR issue. So now you got to switch over to something else. So now that part of the brain's got to get up to speed and it takes time. Now you got to go back to task one. So the brain has to figure out, all right, well, where do we leave off over here? And you got to re-engage and the brain's got to get back up to speed there. It's like a jet engine. It's got to spool up. It takes time. And so every time you switch from one thing to another, the brain doesn't just jump in at full speed. It has to read the situation, engage, start ramping up. We just don't do that instantaneously. It takes time, and it's also fatiguing. It shouldn't be called multitasking. It should be called multitaxing because it taxes your brain and you get fatigued. So. You go to your desk and you sit down and you deal with six or seven things before you get to what you went back there to do. 
your number one priority. By the time you get to your number one priority, you're fatigued. So you don't bring your best self to what you went back there to do to begin with. So if I can get you in 2023 to have a positive attitude and to not multitask, you know, when somebody comes and says, hey, have you got a couple minutes? You know what your answer should be? Actually, I don't. I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of something. Where can I call you when I finish this? Now, that has two elements to it. One is learning how to say no, N-O, and two, how to manage your relationships. Because they don't care what you're in the middle of. They'll come take two minutes of your time, which actually cost you 15 or 20 minutes to disengage from what you were doing, deal with what they're doing, which never turns out to be two minutes, and then re-engage with something that you were doing before or move on to something else. So you have to learn to say, no, actually, I don't. I'm in the middle of something right now. Where can I call you when I get free? You need to learn to control your relationships and learn to say no. That's part of not falling in the trap of multitasking. So what am I getting at here? (laughs) You thought we were going to talk about New Year's resolutions, and we're not to that yet, are we? Because what I want to do is get you ready to deal with this before you start dealing with goals or resolutions, because if I don't, you're not being your best self. You're not being your best self. That's what I want you to do, is get ready to approach whatever you're going to approach being your best self. Coach Mike Bear says, let's be our best self. Let's put our best foot forward. Well, that's what I'm wanting you to do here. Now, there's one more thing. You got to do this stuff consciously, purposefully. I said before, it's not enough to raise your awareness. You have to make a definite commitment in 2023 to be who you are on purpose. Be who you are on purpose. You can't get up and just react to whatever the world slings your way each and every day. You have to be who you are on purpose. Now, that requires you to have a serious conversation with yourself, and it requires you to write some things down. Writing it down versus just thinking about it puts it on a whole different level. It brings some objectivity to the situation, and you don't forget it. You remember I said some people said they don't do their resolutions because they just forget. They get busy multitasking, and they forget. Oh, I forgot I was going to say no to people. I forgot I was going to do this. I forgot I was going to do that. No, You need to write this down. You need to put it on your screensaver or whatever. Be who I am on purpose. Be proactive. Don't be reactive. Be who you are on purpose. And the second part of that story is I want you to star in your own life. I want you to decide when you are who you are on purpose that it's a starring role in your own life. We'll get to that at another time, maybe even today. But I want you 
to decide you're going to have to do this consciously because we're going to finish talking here in a minute. And then you're going to have to decide, okay, what am I going to do with this? And like I said, the biggest mistake in life is you think you have time. You don't have time. I want you to start this today, not tomorrow, the next day, or the next day, or the next day. You've probably heard me say a hundred times, you need to find the people in your life that matter to you and make sure they know how you feel before the sun sets today. Why do I always say that? I say it because you don't know how much time you or they have left in this world. You, God forbid, could fall over dead before I finish this sentence. I could fall over dead before I finish this sentence. Your loved ones could fall. You don't know how much time you have. So do it now. The things I'm asking you to change, do it now. I'm asking you to take a positive, optimistic attitude. Find things to be positive about. Find things to be optimistic about. It will increase your cognitive efficiency. Stop multitasking, which means you have to take control of your schedule, your agenda, the things that you're focused on. Now, there's one more step to this. Willpower is a myth. People go on diets and they say, well, why'd you, why'd you fail? Well, I just, I just didn't have the willpower. Willpower is a myth. It's a myth because it's emotionally driven, and emotions are what? They're fickle. They change. They come. They go. You're up. You're down. You're this to that. You think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose 30 pounds. Okay. And you're all pumped up about it January 1st. But then it comes the middle of February, and it's cold outside, and it's warm in bed, and you don't want to go jog or go to the gym, and willpower's kind of gone. So what's the substitute for willpower? Programming. Programming. You have to set up your environment to support the things that you want to do. That means if you have things that you are committing to change, you have to set your environment up so it cues you, triggers you, reminds you, supports you to do it. I'll give you a good example right now. Right now, I've been working on a shoulder that I had surgery on not terribly long ago, and I've got this small dumbbell on my desk. Why? Well, I've got this dumbbell on my desk here. I've got it on my desk at the studio. I've got one in the dressing room in my studio. I've got one in the den here. I've got one of these everywhere that I spend time and have a few minutes. I've got a gym upstairs, and I can go in there and work out, and I do. But if I'm here and I'm watching a video that I need for the show or I'm reading something and I've got a few minutes, then I can pick this up and do the things I need to do while I'm watching that. And you would be astounded how many sets I can get in during the day when I just have a few minutes. Now you're saying, wait a minute, are you multitasking there, Dr. Phil? No, I'm not multitasking. I'm using dead time when I wouldn't have time to go up to the gym, but I'm just here at my desk and I'm waiting to do this, waiting to do that, waiting for something to load. And I've got some time that I don't have time to go up to the gym, 
I might be in a suit. I might be not in any kind of gym clothes. But these are cues that remind me what I need to do. And I've set my environment up to make it really easy to do it instead of really hard to do it. And if you decide, hey, I want to work out instead of come home at the end of the day and go in the kitchen and graze around, then I would tell you, you set your environment up by doing what? Well, first off, you take your workout clothes with you to work so you can stop at the gym on the way home. You don't have to come home and have the pull of the comfort of home where you are fighting that impulse to stay there. You have it where you can go while you're out and about. And you say, well, I come through the kitchen, I open the refrigerator door, I stare into it, and I, you know, I start nibbling on this, nibbling on that. Well, you know what? Park your car, go out the garage door, and go around and come in the front door. Don't go through the kitchen. Set your pattern up. Set your environment up where it supports you rather than tempts you. You set your environment up for success. You put notes around. You put things around like this dumbbell so you have it where it's easy and it pulls for success rather than temptation. If you want to quit smoking, then rid yourself of everything in your environment that makes it easy to smoke. Obviously, get rid of all of your cigarettes, get rid of all of your ashtrays. If you get them from a vending machine, go down a different hallway at work. Whatever you have to do, use your environment to support what you're doing. Now, so far, we haven't talked about any goals. I'm just talking about you. I'm talking about you deciding what can I do to be the most effective person that I can possibly be. And it has to do, so far, with your attitude. We've talked about how you can be smarter, how you can be more efficient, how you can program yourself for success. And I've talked to you about the reality of time. I don't want you six months from now saying, well, if I had just, if I had just, look, if, I-F, those are the middle two letters of the word life. Don't spend your life focused on if. You want to do. Don't focus on if. And you may say, look, I hear you, Dr. Phil. It's very motivational. I get it. But that's just not me. We were all somebody else yesterday. We are evolving people. We were all somebody else yesterday. The past is just that. It's the past. That's why the rearview mirror is small and the windshield on your car is big. The past is the past. The future is wide open. You decide what you're going to be in 2023. You make that decision. And look, this is chess, not checkers. You have to put some thought into this. There's science to human behavior. I did research before I sat down here to talk to you because you deserve that. If you give me your time, you deserve for me to do my homework. So what I'm telling you is borne out by empirical science. When I said that I want you to be who you are on purpose, 
that means you need to make some decisions about how you want to be you in 2023. Let me ask you something. Do you have people in your life that are just toxic? Take a minute to think about it. Maybe they're people at work. Maybe they're neighbors. Maybe they're in-laws. But do you have people in your life that are just negative? They're just Debbie Downer, always critical, finding something to drag you down with, criticize you about, put you down in some way, either with their demeanor, their words, their criticisms. What would life be like if they weren't around you? Well, if you're going to be who you are on purpose in 2023, let's think about what it would be to take those people out of your life. When you cut toxic people out of your life, it's like somebody took out the trash. It's like, hey, all of a sudden, somebody cleaned the kitchen for me. It's like, whoa, this is great. I don't have them to deal with today. And it doesn't have to be some big confrontation. This is something you do. You just stop interacting with people. People that pull you down. Let me tell you, I've laughed with people that have trashed me behind my back a thousand times. I don't always let people know what I'm thinking, but you know what? Before long, they find themselves on the outside looking in, not on the inside talking trash. It's not always a confrontation. It's just before you know it, they just ain't around. And if you're going to be who you are on purpose, resolve that you're going to take control of your life. That's what being who you are on purpose is about. Not letting somebody assign you what you're going to do and who you're going to be around, but you deciding what you're going to do and who you're going to be around. Now, this takes some self-reflection. There's a lot of research that says there are five or six really broad fundamental personality traits. There are a lot of different ways to divide this up. One of them, there's an acronym for called OCEAN. The five traits are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. In recent years, they've added a sixth, humility and honesty. That's under a system called Hexaco. But there's a test, a real simple test for where you come down on these different characteristics. I'm actually going to put that test on the website. It's real quick to take, and it just kind of gives you an idea where you fall on these things. Openness has to do with people that are open to experience, imagination, and insight. Conscientiousness has to do with thoughtfulness good impulse control, extroversions, just what it sounds like. These are people that are really outgoing. They tend to be more excitable, sociable, more talkative and engaging. Agreeableness, these are people that tend to be more trusting. They have more altruism about them. They're kind, affectionate, pro-social, sort of like extroverts. Neuroticism, these are people that tend to 
have more sadness in their lives, more moodiness, more emotional instability, mood swings, anxiety, irritability. The sixth trait that's been added to Ocean to describe people, honesty and humility is pretty much what it sounds like. These are people that deal with honesty and they have humility is just what it sounds like. But if you're going to start engaging the world differently, it might be a good idea to kind of know where you fall on these traits. There are pros and cons on each of the characteristics, and it might be good to do a little check and see, you know, maybe I'm too trusting, maybe I'm too distrustful or whatever. You can kind of see where you fall in comparison to others. Now, this is not a real deep analysis or anything, but it gives you an idea of where you are in comparison to others. So I'll put that on the website, and you can take that and score it up. Now, this is not some sophisticated psychometric. This is not for self-diagnosis. It just gives you an idea of how you compare to others on these major traits of personality. And again, it's not self-diagnosis. It just gives you an idea of how you compare to others on these characteristics. So. What I've talked about so far is how you can set yourself up to have the best chance of succeeding in pursuit of a goal. Now, let's talk about the goal. As I said, if you do make a resolution, if you do set a specific goal, you're much more likely to achieve it than if you just kind of in your mind say, yeah, I'd like to do better at that. Why? Because once you write it down, that's action-oriented. It's moving you towards the goal. That's the first step. You're in motion. You've got momentum. And as you know, momentum is the tendency for objects in motion to remain in motion. And inertia is the tendency for objects at rest to remain at rest. If you're just thinking about it, you're not in motion. You don't have any momentum. You haven't written anything down. You haven't done anything. So. It's important if you have a resolution, you have a goal, write it down. And when you write it down, it needs to meet certain characteristics. And here are the characteristics. It needs to be measurable. It doesn't do any good to say, I want to be happier. Well, what's that mean? You need to operationalize that. What does happy mean? You want to smile more, cry less, be more active? Whatever it means, define it. It's got to be measurable in some way. If you say, I want to be more active, you could define that in terms of I want to walk 10,000 steps a day. Then you can get a step counter and say, okay, I, I did it. So your goal has to be measurable. Second, you need to define the steps that you need to take to get from where you are now to that goal. We don't have to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Small changes add up to big differences across time. Let's say one of your goals is to lose weight. Well, listen, if you lose a pound a week, a half a pound a week, a pound and a half a week over the next six months, that adds up. If you lose a pound a week for the next 26 weeks, that's 26 pounds. And here's the thing, 
you might want it to be more, but that 26 weeks is going to go by whether you're doing something about your weight or not. Like I said, time is the biggest mistake we make. We think we have time. That 26 weeks is going by whether you're doing something or not. You might as well be doing something. A third important characteristic is you've got to give yourself some attagirls, some attaboys. When you do something and you achieve one of those interval steps, pat yourself on the back. Say, hey, I did that. I I got it done. If one of your goals is I want to go back and get my associate degree or whatever, then if step one is I need to get my high school transcripts, I need to write to my high school, get copies of my transcripts. If that's your goal this week and you write that letter and you send it off, then say, hey, I I got that done. I did that. If your goal next week is to contact the community college and find out what their start dates are and what the curriculums are and you get those catalogs, give yourself credit. You got that done. In the third week, you get those transcripts and you fill out that application and you attach them and you deliver it out there. Give yourself credit for that. Have you gotten your associate's degree yet? No, but you've taken the steps towards it, and you can't get there till you do that. Give yourself credit. A goal has to have a timeline. Someday is not a day of the week. I've looked at my calendar. It's got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Someday is not on there. You got to be specific. You got to have a timeline. And you've got to have accountability. Somebody that you trust, somebody that wants you to succeed, set up with them and say, hey, every Wednesday or every Friday or every Sunday, I want you to check in with me and hold me accountable. And if I didn't get done what I said I was going to get done, I want you to look me in the eye and say, what was more important than doing what was your number one priority? I want you to hold my feet to the fire. And you need to have patience and you need to have forgiveness. This is not going to be a success-only journey. So when you screw up, when you run it off in the ditch, that's not an excuse to quit. That is a cue to get back up there and close the gap. This is not a success-only journey. This is something that we want you to do that you ultimately succeed. It doesn't matter if you win 18-0. I'll take 16-2. I'll take 14-4. As long as we get there, we succeed. That's the thing, is getting to the ultimate goal. So you need to be realistic with your ultimate goal. Now, I'm not going to recap everything that we've talked about because I hit these points pretty hard. And you don't need me to go back over all of them. But understand that setting your resolution... Picking what you want to do is the easy part. The important part is deciding who am I going to be in 2023? 
That's my question to you. Who am I going to be in 2023? We were all somebody yesterday. The question is, who are you going to be today? Thanks for giving me this time. I hope you'll share this with your friends. We'll talk again soon. Mm-hmm.